testing. Testing, one, two, three. Test, test, all right. Oh, wrong spot. Test again. Ena, dio, tria. Digas, tigiria. Edo, sana, praso. Okay. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Here and in Zoom land, it's good to be back in this building together. And it's good to see so many different faces because it's been a while since we've actually been in each other's presence and get a chance to be together, worship together, eat together, uh, be in the Word of God together. For the last two, three fasting and prayer community seasons that we've had, you know, seeking the Lord on what He's got in his mind for us as a church, and hearing from a whole lot of diverse voices, a tapestry of words that all seem to be pointing to God is emphasizing unity in the church community here. Unity, unity, unity. The last three, I, I collected all the words and I can't believe how much he's emphasizing unity, unity again. And so I started to teach a series you know, after hearing from the church, hearing from the Spirit of God and what he's saying to the church and then the church, making that known so that we all know, wow, he's really emphasizing unity. I thought, you know, it would be important to teach then from the Bible what it teaches about unity so that we can be further encouraged, envisioned, and spurred on to apply ourselves to the very things that keep unity and don't allow it to be broken because it's so precious to the Lord. We know, you know from Ephesians 4, I gave a few messages from Ephesians 4. You can go back and listen to them instead of getting a whole recap on them. But really, the, the big emphasis there, spuzazo, is to get the master's degree, Jesus' degree on unity, his heart, his prayer, how much he wants us to actually, even though we're so different, so much diversity in the body of Christ by design, he wants us to be seeing each other in that beauty of diversity and working together, working properly, it says in Ephesians 4, so that when we work properly in all our diversity, we actually end up building each other up and growing up to the fullness of all that Jesus Christ, the head of the body of Christ, has in mind for us to grow up into. Unity when we're operating in it, it really is a lot of people who are different benefiting each other with what they have to offer. They offer it to God first. You know, the Bible says to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. But when you make that offering of yourself and your life for a lifetime, because it's a living sacrifice, not a dead one, it's for the rest of your life you're doing this every day, He directs you First and foremost, as one who is a part of the body of Christ, he's saying, you're presenting your body to me. Now use it to serve my body. And so you actually take your place in the body, and you all, every single one of us, the Bible says, has something to offer, has something to give, has some way to serve, has giftings from the Holy Spirit that has been apportioned to each for the common good, for the community's good, so that everybody receives from everybody, and everybody is benefiting and being built up. Can you imagine that kind of level of unity and that fullness of a manifestation causing everybody to be ministered to through the many? It's beautiful. 
I talked about guarding our unity in our church community by controlling our anger. In your anger, don't sin, it says. You know, all of us get offended. There's differences that we experience between each other. The Bible teaches so much on what to do when you're offended because we get offended. We get bothered by each other. Sometimes we don't like each other because we're not, you're not like me and I'm not like you. I don't want to hang out with you because you're too different than me. I like to hang out with everybody that's the same like me. And God's like, no, that's not the way it is. I created everybody different. Stop aiming for sameness. Aim for diversity. Find the beauty. Appreciate it. And build each other up and learn how to get along in order to move along. Because that's what I have in mind for you as a church. Every church of sameness has not done well because it's been way too limited in what it has in its body. And every church of sameness has taken away an abundance of supply that should have been distributed throughout other church congregations so that they can get some of what they have as a strength. And then those can get some of what others have as a strength. And though, even though there's weaknesses, the strengths supply the weaknesses in each of those bodies. I'm going to give us a word to kind of posture us. I started talking about uh, guarding our unity with a whole lot of practical things that are in Romans 12. We only got a couple of verses last time uh, as a starter. Good prime, primer, good starter. We're going to go back to Romans 12. You can go on that chapter if you want, Romans 12. But I have a, a scripture I've been walking around with. Ben got it going. You know, Ben and I meet uh, every couple of weeks, and he brought a scripture that he was teaching in his uh, in his church house, and I thought it was a beautiful scripture. And after we met, I couldn't shake it. I couldn't get it out of my head. Uh, it affected me in different ways. But I'll share it because I think it's related to where we're going in this message, and then we'll go to the main text right after that. Uh, it, it comes from Mark chapter 4, verse 26. Jesus was giving a parable there uh, and comparing the kingdom of God on what it's like and really it was about the kingdom of God uh, and its developments how they start from a seed and they develop all the way up to actual submission which is a trust thing submission to God his kingdom his governing authority over our lives where you're trustworthy I, I, I trust you I bow down to you I, I, I'm gonna start treating you like you are God I'm gonna serve you I'm gonna offer you my best not my worst you gave everything to me I want to give back to you it was your grace that you expressed I didn't deserve it so if I'm a free recipient freely receiving from you I want to give the same kind of grace that I've received from you also to others and that grace really works for unity that grace really builds up other people where you can give as freely as you've received from God to others man beautiful things happen Jesus said the kingdom of God in Mark chapter 4 26 excuse the scratchy throat today is as if a man should scatter a seed or scatter seed on the ground. This is how the kingdom works. It starts with a seed. You know, the Bible calls the word of God the eternal seed by which you were born again. It starts with a seed sown into the ground. 
And then he says, he sleeps. No, man, don't go to sleep. Keep working that thing. Make that thing rise up and become something. No, that's not your job. You just sow. Maybe someone else waters that thing. But it's God that gives it the increase and the rise that it's going to experience. So you sow it in faith, believing God's going to do something with it. He sows the seed. He sleeps and he rises night and day. And the seed sprouts. A little green thing comes out of the seed. It sprouts upwards. It's the first indication of going upwards. Uh, growth, life starts taking place there. And it says it grows. And he doesn't even know how. The earth produces by itself. And then he actually gives us what the process of growth and development looks like. He says this thing first becomes a blade. And then the ear. We're thinking of wheat here. Little crop going up, blade, ears coming out, and then in that top portion, then the full grain in the ear. Man, there's a lot of seeds now that have come out of one seed. I wonder if it'll keep it all to itself. This is mine. Or will it allow itself to be given away so that from one independent seed depending on God and being launched into the world, it has something to further sow so that the one gets multiplied into many. Well, look what it says here. This is how the kingdom works, if it's working properly. But when the grain is ripe, ripe, Under, underline the word ripe, go home and study the word ripe because it follows the conceptual understanding of grain developing and becoming ripe and then harvested by the harvester because it was ready to be harvested. But the Greek does not use the word ripe. It is a way more descriptive word that can apply to the crop and it can, can apply to a human being. When this thing becomes ripe, para vidome, does that sound like ripe? Doesn't sound like ripe to me. Para didome, it's a compound word. Para means to go beyond. It's beyond self, beyond itself as a seed, beyond herself or himself as, as a human being. Para didome is to be given. To be given out. It, when, it, when it reaches the point of ripeness, the Greek says, para didome, I give up. I give in, I give over, I give away everything I have. All of these seeds, they're yours. My body, my life, my time, my energy. How much time do I have? I want to make good use of this time. Use me, make me useful and fruitful. I used to serve ignoble purposes. Now I want to serve the master in noble purposes. I was a vessel of dishonor. I want to be a vessel of honor. It's the highest privilege to serve the highest king on this earth while I still have time. That's your daily prayer when you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Paradidome. I present myself to you and all that I have. I don't know how much I have. I don't know. Some of it, I don't even know what I have. But by the measure of faith that you've apportioned to me, I'll step out even with an empty cup. 
to give this person something. Could you feel it by the time I get to them and reach out to them so that I have something to give them? And he surprises us. And you're like, whoa, not me, but the grace of God in me. That was the Holy Spirit that filled me and flowed out from me to you. And you get surprised as you reach out by faith, believing that God will meet up with you as you reach out, as you reach out to people in the church to minister to them or reach out to people in the world. You and I normally would think, I'm not going to ever preach off the cuff out there. I'm not a preacher. How do you know you're not a preacher? How do you know? How do you know what's going to come out of you or not going to come out of you unless you step out by faith to see? And then suddenly he anoints you and you're like, whoa, I had no clue what I was going to say. But the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, would give me what to say and even teach me how to say it to each and every different person. That's amazing. That's dependent. I don't like that. I'm independent. It feels uncomfortable to be dependent. I, don't, I, don't have, a, I have a hard time learning dependence. And yet God wants us to learn to be like that with each other. There'll be so much discovery of spiritual giftings because there's not just a few people that have spiritual giftings and others don't. The, the givers and the recipients. That is heresy. And if I disable you from ministering to another, that I'm going to bear an account for because I am meant to equip others by now for works of ministry that they're to do. I'm not just to be someone who, oh, there's the minister. There's no such thing. You are all the ministers. Living stones joined and fit together to rise up to be a spiritual household, a priesthood of God to present offerings and praises that are acceptable to God from our lips, from our service, from our generous giving to one another's needs. These are, if, if you want three categories of giftings and where we're going to go right now, it's speaking giftings. Well, speaking, is that, what is that, preaching? It's preaching, it's teaching, it's encouraging, it's wisdom, it's knowledge, it's, it's, it's all sorts of things that where you use your mouth, it ministers blessings and life to, and comfort and strength to another person. The mouth can accomplish a whole lot as an instrument that is used for God. And then you've got all sorts of Serving giftings. If I'm not willing to wait on tables or clean tables like that spirit-filled man who had the wisdom of God named Stephen and they chose him as one of the deacons to serve in the church, what did he do first? He started waiting on tables and serving people. And in that heart of service, God used him and his anointing powerfully as he was in touch with people serving. Serving is in season all the time. You see a need, you serve it. I noticed that, well, I noticed you, but I almost ignored you because I knew what it would mean if I didn't ignore you, but I paid attention, which is a care kind of thing, and when I paid attention, I realized you needed something, and when I realized what it was what that you needed, I realized I had something that I could give you. Serving. And serving is an expression of love. And giving is an expression of love. And we can give to each other's needs in so many different ways. It's not just money. There's so, so much kinds of gift, giftings that give, that help others, that come alongside others. I can't do this anymore. I quit. No, we're in this together. Don't quit. And you're 
giving them a little bit of support and strength to get through, and together you make it through. This is beautiful stuff that happens in the body of Christ as we're willing to offer ourselves and be directed as we present our bodies to him, be directed first to the household of faith, the church body. That's where Jesus will direct us as parts of his body. And then beyond the church body, he will use us to reach out to the world. His body reaching out to the world is the church. Well, now let's read. <laughs> let's go to Romans chapter 12. We're going to read from verse 3. And bring it to verse 8. I'll just tell you ahead of time, I'm not going to expound on the giftings. Maybe another time. I'm going to expound on a mindset, a way of thinking of ourselves. And how that mindset translates into the application of ourselves with our giftings. But I'm not going to talk about each of those giftings. So, how we're not to think of ourselves... And how we are to think, I started talking about that last time, didn't get too much done, but hopefully we can get some more done this time. Let's do it. Paul says, Paul, that religious guy that thought he was serving God by killing Christians. Paul, the guy that was putting people away, taking them out of their homes, putting them in jail. Paul, who got papers and was riding a horse, heading out of heading out into a new region now with authority to actually do more of that to the church. Paul gets confronted by Jesus. He realizes Jesus is real. He realizes the church body is his bride. Jesus says, when you do it to her, you're doing it to me. Why are you persecuting me, Paul? And Paul's like lost, dumbfounded. His paradigm is shattered in terms of what he thought was right and wrong. His old sense of righteousness became a new one. You get righteous justified by Jesus, the guilty are made, actually not guilty. The law says you're guilty. Jesus says I've taken care of what the law required to justify you so that I've satisfied justice and I've justified you. Because of me, you will actually on the day of accounts be not guilty. That's the grace of God giving us Jesus and that's Jesus giving himself to the cross to do that. Well, for by the grace given to me. Paul is really sobered up on himself. Maybe he thought of himself way more highly than he ought to have thought of himself in the past, but not anymore. He's actually assigned to be an apostle. That's a high position of authority in the church, but he's not prideful. He's saying the grace of God. I didn't deserve to be part of the church. The, the Bible actually says one who was I am one who was untimely born. I was going to go kill Christians, and that's where he converted me. I wasn't looking for conversion, but he got a hold of me, knocked me off my horse, blinded me, disabled me, made me dependent. I stood in darkness, fasted and prayed. He visited me. He gave my eyesight back. He gave me the Holy Spirit, and now I'm doing this because of his grace. And I don't deserve this. I was hostile toward him. There's nothing about me that deserves doing what I'm doing. But it's a privilege, a forgiveness, an honor, and an equipping of the Holy Spirit that has brought me out of darkness into this light. And now I'm bringing others out of darkness into this light as well. And it's this grace that he's given me that I'm talking out of to you because he's graced you as well. It says in verse 6, you also have the grace of God. Now apply yourselves. But he starts by talking about, first of all, this is how you should think and shouldn't think about yourself in relationship to others in the body of Christ. 
He says, by the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly, not to be high-minded about themselves, not to be prideful, not to think of themselves more highly than he ought to think. Well, then, if I'm not to be thinking of myself in a prideful way more highly than I ought to think, how should I think? You are to think of yourself. You're thinking, that sounds weird. We're not supposed to think of ourselves at all. You're supposed to put yourself aside, crucify yourself, never think of yourself ever again. That's not true. There's a certain way to think of yourself, and it's not according to how you used to think of yourself, not according to the patterns of this world. The world is a very prideful world that we live in, very opinionated, very for itself. It's nothing like the mind of Christ on how the world thinks. If anything, Satan's mind from the beginning has been sown into every generation. And so, don't think according to the patterns of this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, how, how do I do that? Get the mind of Christ. How do I get the mind of Christ? The logos, the logical mind of Christ has been manifested and recorded into Scripture. Get a hold of those Scriptures. Let the Holy Spirit lift up off the Scriptures the mind and heart of Jesus so you see it, and you say, that's beautiful, and I see it, and I agree with it. I confess that your mind is better than the mind of the world, and you, you put the mind of the world away, and you agree with Jesus, and you go forward, and you will not live the same life in this world ever again. You won't live like the world anymore. You won't use the world's faulty standards of who's valuable and who's not valuable anymore. Like the blood of Jesus makes it very clear that the president is valuable and so is the, the one cleaning the toilet just as valuable because the blood of Jesus was equally for both and God actually assigns value equally to all so according to the actual value of Jesus Christ we are all equally valuable in the eyes of the Lord and each of us has been given something to do it's different it's not the same and we need to be okay. Well, I, I don't have what she has, or I don't have what he has, so therefore what I have is not that valuable, not that important. The most valuable thing you can do is not look at what they have, but look at what you have and realize. Think of yourself according to the measure of faith that Jesus Christ, ooh, getting tangled, Jesus Christ <laughs> has given you, he's given you a measure of faith to interact with God. And it, the measure that he's given you is like glasses of faith where you can see him and understand things and, and then stand under the very things he's given you understanding about and line up under those things. Maybe be corrected from some things so that you're lining up with God and then acting according to those things. He's given us a faith that he wants us to use as a prescription for seeing ourselves soberly, properly. It's humble. You got to get humble if you're going to talk with Jesus eye to eye because he says, Come to me and learn from me, for I am meek and humble at heart. And it's like, Lord, well, what if I'm up here? You're going to miss it because I reveal things to the humble, but I hide them from those who are prideful, who think they know it all. Those are hard people to talk to, so I, I just leave them up for, for a while until they become like children and get low and come and talk to me, the Lord, down here where I can speak to them for a change instead of they know it all. He hides things from the know-it-alls. He reveals it to the dependent babes. That's Matthew 11. So here we are. Let me finish the scripture. 
Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment each, each and every one of us, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. He's given me a measure of faith to come to know him and to trust him and believe in him, and I have, and that has begun a salvation covenant relationship with him. I entered this covenant that he paid for in full to enter. He drew me. He called me. He awakened my faith. He regenerated me by the Spirit of God. I've been born of God. I've been born of the Spirit of God here on earth. A miracle has taken place. And then he's begun to give me understanding. Right from that 19-year-old who turned his life over to the Lord in submission to him and says, I want to serve you. And he said, serve me. And it's like, how can I do that I'll show you what am I to do you'll do it all with me and ever since then he's been in this sober interaction of God and George and faith reaching out to him and seeing and hearing and discerning and understanding my assignments his will for me what he has assigned for me to complete and do and I'm still finding out I don't know what it all is every year I write down what I believe he's been saying and tracking in and then he shows me more and he says now it's this and now it's not and I would have never thought Lord that's not according to the formula I'm not a formula I'm the Lord yesterday we did it like that today we're going to do it a little differently why are we doing it differently because we're going somewhere different that whatever I did yesterday with you is not going to work with this person or whatever he's up to he's the Lord you track in faith with the Lord he assigns to you what you're going to do in here and he assigns for you what you're going to do out there in your sphere of relationships and influence out there in your neighborhoods or where you work or wherever you go. And then he talks about us being a body of many parts. For as in one body, and he's talking about our physical bodies. Another translation is very clear. We all have one body. You have one, you have one, I have one. As in one body, we have many members. What that means is you have many parts working parts, internal organs, external ones. Uh, they're all precious. They're all different. They all do different things. You would say it's unthinkable for me to lose my pinky. It's unthinkable to, for me to lose my little toe. It's unthinkable for me to lose my pancreas, which I have a non-working pancreas. So you can ask me how unthinkable it is for you to ever want to lose it. Every part matters, even if they're hidden parts that you never think about until you take biology or, you know, physiology or you start realizing what exists inside you and you're like, wow, it's all beautiful and it all has this beautiful order from God and they all kind of work together as one body and man, I can't think of not having any one of those parts because they're all needed. They all belong to this body. As in one body, we have many members. And the members don't all have the same function. So we, and now he's talking about, first he's talking about our bodies and their physical parts. Now he's talking about us as the church. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually, as unique and distinct as we are as parts, and individually, members of one another. He's joined us and fit us together to make us a body. Yes, we are different. We need to appreciate the differences because he's made us like that. And the differences, you know, they have all sorts of strengths in them 
and all sorts of weaknesses. You might think you don't have weaknesses, but maybe you haven't thought enough that you actually have weaknesses, that other people can actually supply something to those weaknesses to make you, they're complementary things, they make you stronger. Stronger together, better together, not apart from each other. Well, it says here, we're members of one another, and then it talks about, another translation says, we belong to each other as parts in one body. It says, having gifts that differ, here's the whole variety and diversity and differences between each other with the, in terms of what each of us has, differ according to the grace given to us by the grace given to me, don't think this way pridefully, don't think, you know, think this way soberly, humbly about yourself in relationship to others. And now he's saying, well, let's talk about the grace that you have. Paul's like an apostle, and he's telling us these things, and it's like, but each of us has certain graces from God. Knowledge, skills, abilities, spiritual gifts, all sorts of graces, strengths to supply to others so that they would be better off as a result of interacting with us. And man, the church is way more fully better off when all of us are properly working as God has designed it. So the gifts differ. Talks about prophecy. And he says, you know, apply yourself to that in proportion to the faith you have. Service, teaching, exhorting, contributing in generosity, Leading, do it with zeal, and acts of mercy, this sensitivity to others that feels for them. There's a compassion that is so felt that it will cross the room to reach out to that person. You know, some of us are more sensitive to what's going on in another than others are. We could be taught to be sensitive to others and what's going on with them and learn how to better discern really what's happening there and what to do and not to do. Uh, and some people have a greater strength, a gifting in that, that we, they model it. They, it like we're, we're blessed that they're present because we can learn from them. And actually, they can multiply themselves or that gifting in others. Teach them how to operate in this fashion so that mercy and compassion is maximized, as Jesus would have it maximized, not only in the church, but beyond the church to the world. Wow, Rob. We're already at 25 after. My voice is almost shot. <laughs> okay, the next time, I promise, I'll get straight into uh, the wrong perspective, the right perspective, and how we can maximize as a church that's been joined together in unity by the Holy Spirit, maximize the fullness of everything that's here. Amen?